Angie Arrigo of Empire Magazine called this movie a sparkling little gem that takes the family road movie to unhoped-for heights of hilarity and humanity. Time Magazine critic Richard Schickel said that it comes closer to the truth about the way people really live, on the edge of fantasy-driven desperation, than our sanctimonies permit us to think. And Letterboxd user Kayla says everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but if you don't like this movie, you're absolutely wrong. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Little Miss Sunshine. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. It's Rune Childhood's time. I'm Dan. That's John. How are you, John? <laughs> I'm doing well. Dan, that's quite the intro. You, uh, I don't know if you've been watching some, I don't know, 80s uh, variety shows. Sounds like very like The Muppet Show. And welcome to the show. Yeah, we've got a great show planned for you today. We've got a lot of great acts coming up. And here's John Denver. Uh. And we're going to talk about the... The aughts classic Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's Little Miss Sunshine, everybody. Whoa! Yeah, I, that's ah! not even... I, I am. I don't know why I'm half-assing a Kermit impression. Like, I I can usually do Kermit pretty well. Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, hi-ho there, everybody. Today we're going to be talking about a charming indie film. Greg Kinnear. I don't know. <laughs> do you think and that Kermit's Greg ever Kinnear. met... Do you think that Kermit has ever met Tony Collette? I thought he must have. I mean, how, how has he not worked with Tony Collette? Like Tony Collette is uh, just one of the most uh, amazing actors working in yeah, the last. Dan, have I ever years? told you about my? I I wouldn't call it a beef with Tony Collette because I really do like Tony Collette. I think she's oh. fantastic. But have how I ever told you? you? She has not wronged me, but there's one issue that I have with, I guess, like her performances in most of her movies. Have I not told you about this? No. Okay. I don't know why exactly I feel this way, but for some reason, it's really distracting to me when Tony Collette is playing anything other than an Australian because I feel like Tony Collette is the most Australian looking woman I've ever seen. So what outside of Muriel's wedding, you know, I'm like, when else? I think so. And, and I, I specify, I specify woman because, uh, Hugo weaving is the male counterpart. Oh, and it is. And I don't know if it's like this, like high cheekbone look Mm. that I just associate with the continent of Australia. But for me, it just really, like it's when I hear an American accent coming out of either of those actors, it throws me because I'm like, you just look so Australian. I don't disagree with you on that. It doesn't throw me as as. Do you much. know what I mean by an Australian look? Because I, I know that it's kind of a funny thing. 
I, I I know what you mean, and it's not. I get the high, like the high cheekbone thing. And as I'm mentally running through my my Rolodex of Australian a- actors, uh, most of them have high cheekbones. Ironically, the ones I'm thinking of who maybe don't have been less successful. Paul Hogan, I don't think, has the highest cheekbones in the world, but Nicole well, Kidman. I would say Nicole Kidman is the exception because I feel like she doesn't look Australian. And then it's just like, oh, right, you're Australian when she begins to speak in her native (laughs) accent. Yeah, well, because it's been such a long time since she has played an Australian. Like, I feel like Days of Thunder uh, it might be the last one I remember. I, I, I just remember, let me out of the car, Cole. Let me out of the car. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So I, um, yeah, so Nicole, but she's got high, is Russell, Russell Crowe relatively high cheekbones? I don't consider him very Australian looking. I mean, like, what about Hugh I Jackman? feel like he, if, I feel like if he's a one and Hugo Weaving is a 10, that's kind of like where the, the scale is. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah. Hugo Weaving is, I would say definitely the 10 on the, 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 the Australian scale for men, I guess. For men. The yeah. Australian scale for men. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> um, but hey, Dan, I just want to say something to any of our listeners who have never listened to the show before. This is Ruined Childhoods, where we don't necessarily just talk about Australian actors looking Australian. Uh, this is a we've podcast. We've never talked we about talk- it before. We've literally never talked about it before. But if this is your first time listening, it's all we've talked about. So I want to just make sure to mention that this is a podcast where we talk about cult and classic movies as well as movies that we just really like. And, you know, kind of just shoot the breeze about them a little bit, talk about the things that we like about them, talk about the things that bug us, talk about Australian-looking actors. And uh, we also then talk about how we think these movies could be brought back as a uh, a prequel, a sequel, reboot, remake, a board game, ice cream flavor, uh, <laughs> doo-wop band, just I don't know, of, whatever just, it well, could just, be. Just revived in a rock opera uh, you know, a yeah. duop a duop band that sings only songs about said mo- little, you know, whether it's Little Miss Sunshine or mm-hmm. or another movie, but uh, it it could be that it could be just however however we see this like property taking on another life, being revived because that's that's what happens. Which, by the way, John, speaking of like that's what happens, uh. Did you even know that they were doing another Father of the Bride remake? I want to say it came up in one of our news bits a while ago and that Andy Garcia would be involved, but I don't remember much else about it. Okay, yeah, so it premieres in June on HBO Max. It's Andy Garcia and Gloria Estefan who are the... See, the Gloria the Estefan thing is more surprising to me than the fact that it exists in the first place, because when's the last time we've heard from Gloria Estefan? I, I mean, you know, aside from like, well, she had her musical a few years ago. Like, Did she? Yeah, there was a whole musical. About, it was, I think it was called like Conga or something like that. Uh, well, I mean, if you're going to do a musical based on anything Gloria Estefan, it's probably going to be Conga. I mean, you get the whole audience. Oh, hey, oh, hey. 
Um, no, it was about her life, and I think like her, the, like oh. the 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 bus accident, and her marriage. I think her her marriage to it was Renee Estevez. Um, I don't know. Um, I guess I'll you know, have to find a way to see it. But Gloria Estefan, the the few times she has acted, I thought she was very good. Actually, um, I just I think of Wes Craven's Music of the Heart from mm. nineteen ninety seven, like the one non horror movie. Interesting. Wes, Wes Craven directed like basically like a teacher movie, and like it's Meryl Streep and playing. The, and it was based on a true story about like someone cool. who wanted to start a an orchestra program, and Gloria Estefan like it, it co stars in it. It was a good movie. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so that's the, the father of the bride, um, father of the bride remake. I, I do have some, one more things. I, I'm going to just, uh, get in there first with an, I had an almost one more thing. Oh, okay. All right. So I'll share my almost one more thing. Uh, I was thinking about the character of Helen played by Diane Wiest. In Parenthood, by the way, which was the movie we covered. Right. Our last episode was the 1989 dramedy classic Parenthood. And uh, so we're, we're talking a lot about how the character of Helen played by Diane Wiest uh, is raising her kids. One of whom is one of which is played by Martha Plimpton. And my almost what my, it was about to be a one more thing because I was like, wait a second. Wasn't Martha Plimpton in a television series sitcom called Raising Helen. And then I was like, no, that's Raising Hope. Raising Helen was the Kate Hudson movie. So I was like, ah, (laughs) if only it was so close that it could have been a one more thing. So this is my not really, but almost a one more thing. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's still interesting. And I remember I watched a few episodes of that show. Very good. Uh, Cloris Leachman. uh, Cloris Leachman. Was also on it. Pour one out. Pour one out. Uh, yeah, Kate Micucci was on it. It's yeah. uh it was, seemed like a fun show. It was a fun show. Yeah. It's a fun show. So my um my one more thing kind of comes around one of the conversations that we didn't have and for, for those who haven't listened to the Parenthood episode, Parenthood is a favorite movie of of mine and John's. Sure. And yeah. it is one that that we could go on and on about. Uh and we there did. Were, there well we did go on and well no, we didn't because there were definitely some things that you know, we couldn't talk about every scene and we couldn't talk no, about. No, 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 no. But I, I don't know that I think we touched upon it, but didn't really talk about like how th- what in the movie like really like what wh- what has happened in our lives. And I was thinking about it because I had an experience recently that made me say like, oh, my God, this is almost exactly the scene out of Fahrenheit. OK, so um, I wanted to. I was. I was interested. I put. I uh, put the question out uh, on our Instagram at Rune Childhoods Pod, and uh, so I figured I would share my story briefly, and then if you have like anything, what what has happened in your life where where you have said, oh, that's like because I feel like Parenthood is full of just those relatable moments. I mean, and people. Yeah. Mine. Okay. Go ahead. I was going to stall for you a moment because you've heard this story before. Uh, so my daughter, uh, who's eight years old, uh, on her on her birthday, uh, we got her we got a little, you know Ben and Jerry's ice cream cake, and it had all these like you know weird psychedelic trippy colors on it, and she of course ate too much of it, and 
and then overnight, like I, I, so I go, she was, she was up, she was, she couldn't get to sleep and she was like sitting on her bed and I, I go in to, I was like, oh, what's the matter? And she's like, oh, my tummy, my tummy hurts. And she had also been sick, like on and off. So right. there's just a lot. This was also right before we were having a baby. So who knows what was going on, but her tummy hurt and she, uh, and, and I, I, I said, I was like, do you think you're going to throw up? She goes, no. And then proceeds to vomit the the most artificially colored vomit I have ever seen. Not that I am an aficionado of uh, the vomit color palette, but <laughs> this was like, it was so the, like the color of the food coloring in this cake. And it was so like this unnatural blue. And right. I just thought, to, and I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, wow. So just like in Parenthood, after they get back from the baseball game and, and Taylor, played by Allison Porter, has had right. too many uh, hot dogs and her tummy hurts and, and Steve Martin comes in and says, you think you want to throw up? Now, in her case, she just says, okay, and projectile and then, vomits all yeah. over him. Uh so, uh, but I felt I to me that was like what that was one of those moments that was so close. It was like, oh man, yeah, I guess that yeah, that's what happens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know I'm I want to say that being a parent and I have an almost five year old and uh, you know being the being a parent you I feel like your every day is loaded with these moments where you think like this could be part of the movie Parenthood or the show Parenthood for that matter. Right. And um, I don't want to get into a like kids say the darndest thing type of thing, but you know, it's a lot of those, those, you know, we're always having those debates with these children who don't understand logic and don't know how things, how everything works. And not to say that we as adults do, but we've been around a little bit longer. And, you know, there was a situation tonight where, uh, you know, my kid wanted to have a kiwi. And I was, uh, and I said to her, you can have it after you finish your dinner, after you've eaten enough of your dinner to my satisfaction. And so she proceeds to, you know, basically have like one spaghetti strand and say like, is that enough? Can I have, is that enough? And I'm just like, you need to eat a little bit more. And she has like one more half of a strand of spaghetti. And then I'm just like, I need you to eat some more of your dinner. And she goes, but my, I can't eat any more. I'm so full. And I was like, well, then you don't have any room for any kiwi. And she's like, well, I have room for kiwi. You know, it's like that kind of a conversation. Oh, no, so don't you know, kids have a separate stomach for desserts. I, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not like, I. it's not like she's asking me for, you know, some sort of, like a cupcake or something. It's, it's fruit, you know, it's like yeah, yeah. a totally reasonable thing to give her, but I just want her to eat some other things that, you know, have some protein in it or some other vitamins and so on and so forth. So right. anyway, I, you know, it's just those little moments that come up. I can't say that I've had any Buckman-esque experiences. I'm sure that if I really thought about it, I could come up with something, but I think that that's what makes Parenthood is such a special movie is that it condenses all of these major life moments of being a child and being a parent into this 
like two hour yeah. movie where it's like, you know, you're not going to have the kid throwing up, losing the one kid's retainer, having to throw a birthday party, like all those things all like in within a week, you know, it's right. It, it yeah. doesn't say how much time span this, this movie is, but there's an understanding that time has passed. Well, yeah, no, it, I mean, they do. It, it's over the course of, it goes from, I want to say, uh, like a mid to late spring to late summer. Cause they talk about, okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it, there's a few <laughs> yeah. months. <laughs> okay. You're a, uh, a Ron Howard film detective. Well, no, I'm just saying, because when they have the meeting with Kevin, they're still like, well, the next school year is X amount of months off. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> I, fair enough. But, uh, did you have any other one more things or should we move on to our, our movie of the week? I think it's time to move on to our movie of the week. Yeah, well, you know, as this is the month of May and we have the month of, of June coming up right on its heels, you know, we, we wanted to just talk about family movies for a couple of months, you know, and of course, you know, most movies could be considered family movies. I mean, the Fast and the Furious franchise, you know, could could be considered more of one than even Little Miss Sunshine. But, uh, you know... We have parenthood where we do have this like multi generational splitting off into the different you know segments of the family, uh, and and then you know we do have a a smaller family unit still intergenerational, uh, but more mixed with uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Dan, should I go go ahead and just give a synopsis real quick? Go for it. A complicated family filled with eccentrics sets off on a road trip from New Mexico to California so that Olive, the youngest child, can perform in the Little Miss Sunshine pageant. Also in the family is Olive's depressed and determined half-brother, Dwayne, who is nine months into a vow of silence until he gets into the Air Force Academy so he can become a pilot. They also live with their grandfather, a horny heroin addict who has been kicked out of his retirement community. He has a particular interest in Olive's pageant dreams. His son, Richard, is on the brink of getting a book deal for his nine-step plan for success. And Richard is married to Cheryl, the breadwinner of the family, who just wants to keep everyone together. She also just brought in her brother Frank, who is fresh off a suicide attempt after losing his job for being in a relationship with a student. On their journey, they deal with failure left and right but are determined to make it to California so Olive can compete and thrive at the Little Miss Sunshine pageant. So as Richard, we have Greg Kinnear. As Cheryl, we have uh, the aforementioned Tony Collette. Uh, as Richard's father, whose name I'm blanking on, we have uh, Alan Arkin. Um, I'm looking at it right now. Edwin. Okay, I don't know if we I really even knew, knew, knew that. I so don't much. know that I, they might mention it once. Fair enough. Uh, as as Dwayne, we have Paul Dano, who's really been, you know, getting the hitting the success train hard with the latest Batman movie. Uh, we have Abigail Breslin as Olive, and we have uh, a very early in his career Steve Carell playing Frank. And uh, wow, what a cast! Wow, wow, wow. It- an impressive cast and, and and we should also mention the uh so the the writing directing team behind it uh, and i'm about to uh 
botched their names because, of course, I don't have my so it's it's Jonathan, so it wasn't they didn't write this, but it was directed Jonathan. by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Farris, and it was oh. written by Michael Arndt. Okay, I was totally gonna get their names right, but I thought because Jonathan Dayton is also a regional high school in uh, oh. New Jersey, <laughs> I was like, no, it must be something. I know I was like, I remember Dayton and Farris, but. I couldn't remember there. So they directed it and Michael Arndt wrote it. Wrote it. Yeah. Yes. And this was this was his first screenplay and uh actually won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, which is amazing. This is his first his first screenplay. And uh he also got involved with a lot of uh Pixar films, was uh, you know, worked on Wally and Up and then uh, was a writer for Toy Story 3, uh, was part of Cars 2, wrote a little bit of Brave. Wrote um, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah, writer on the Star Wars The Force Awakens. Hunger Games. Yeah, so definitely went from like, you know, indie gem to like big movie <laughs> juggernaut, like fast. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's... I mean, that's pretty cool. Uh, good for him. Definitely well-deserved because, you know, this, the script for this film is really something special. And uh, it deals with a lot of really heavy topics that I think are, at least from the way I saw it, dealt with in a very smart way. And I I really appreciated the way that they handled... Uh, Frank's sexual orientation. He is a gay man, but it is never played for comedy, with the exception of like the porno magazine that is, <laughs> it's not drawing attention to his homosexuality as a jab, but it's part of a lighthearted scene that where it's like he would be doing something fun and goofy. Right. Up until yeah, the moment where it stops it, being that way, but yeah, you know. it's not. It's not at all. Yeah, it's not at all played that way, and it's just. It's one of those moments where you're just like, ah, oh, okay, wow, awesome. That's awesome how they set that up. Yeah, and you, and I think that what's also pretty cool about his character is like, it is understood and discussed that he has attempted to commit suicide. We never see the attempt. We only see that he has bandages on his wrists and Olive is the one who asks him about it and the family is honest with her about the whole situation. And I thought that that was pretty cool. And even when Olive learns that her uncle is gay, it's not like, you know, talked about in a way that's, it's a very like nine-year-old or whatever, however old she is, like, I think, like, way of processing this information that she's never heard about before. Well, right. You fell in love with a boy. She's like, that's she's, silly. Yeah, something like, just yeah. basically like, that's silly. And, and yeah, and the way that, 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 um, that Steve Carell plays it. Yeah. As, as Frank is funny because it, it it's, you could tell that when he, he agrees that he's like, yeah, it is silly. And he thinks it was about pretty silly. Yeah, it was it was pretty silly, yeah. right? His his affair with this uh, um, student who we do who we end up meeting. <laughs> yeah, that popped collared, sprightly uh, young chap. 
<laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh man, the Proust scholars. I wish. I wonder if 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 I would enjoy the movie. If I mean, I enjoy the movie. I love this. Is yeah, a, a great movie. I really enjoyed watching it again. But I wonder if I would if there's more of it that you get if you're familiar with the writings of Marcel Proust. Are you familiar? You know, I am not. You and are not the leading Proust scholar. The preeminent. No, no. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have time to cram in my Proust, but uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the of the other um, Sugarman. Was it like Larry Sugarman. Sugarman? Larry Sugarman. I was like, if only I had read Larry Sugarman's book. <laughs> the right. foremost Proust understanding scholar. understanding Proust. I that, it's that's another great thing about this movie is you know it 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 does it tackles a lot of uh, you know serious topics and things that I think uh, that come up in families and yeah. that are part of family dynamics. Everything from the you know the retired uh, you know older generation who's because he's you know out of his retirement home he's living with them and he has a you know he definitely has his own outlook on life that he's he's old he's made it this yeah. long why shouldn't he just do whatever he wants whatever to he do. wants and yeah. say whatever he wants and totally and you Alan know Arkin even... won an academy award by the way for uh, the performance yeah, and he's he's fantastic. I always love seeing Alan Arkin. Uh, always good. Well, always I think good. This movie, I think this movie kind of started the little like Alan Arkin, like in Ar like when he's in Argo. I feel like his character yeah. in Argo, the, Argo, fuck yourself. That character, yeah. like it, it, it's it, it stems from this. Well, I mean, but I feel like also in. Um, like Edward Scissorhands, you know, his, uh, hey, speaking of another Diane Wiest classic. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, but uh, in Edward Scissorhands, the, the way he plays that character is not just like, oh, you know, yeah, he's the dad or whatever. Like, he puts his own, like, thing into it, even though it's not, like, a huge character. Like, you appreciate the way that he plays it. And if yes. not played right a character like that in Edward Scissorhands could be you know could not make the movie very good and right yeah, yeah he really got it he really added to it so yeah I always appreciate seeing Alan Arkin I think he's fantastic yeah he he absolutely is uh, yeah so something that I wanted to mention that you know when I was watching this the other day something that really stood out to me about this movie is that like one of those first scenes where uh, Cheryl gets home with Frank and she's, you know, gathering the family to eat dinner together. She brings home a bucket of chicken. And there was something that felt just like very real. Um, you know, there it's a class. It's like, you know, I, I guess like lower middle class. You know, it's like they, they aren't financially comfortable um, but they still have, you know, the, the house and, and are able to, you know, get a bucket of chicken and feed the family and everything. And right. the way that Cheryl gathers everyone together, she's just like, you know what, we'll just do paper plates tonight. You know, who cares? Like the, those little details I think are really brilliant. I don't know how much of this was in the script originally. And also how she like gets out a bottle of Sprite and she, 
is asking who wants Sprite. And I feel like the choice to make it Sprite is really interesting. And it's like very much of like a a mom move. You know, it's like there's no caffeine in it. So it's like you know, at dinner time, you're not giving the kids caffeine. Like there's, it's cl- there's it's something clear. about it. So the, it's a step closer to water than, than yeah. Coca-Cola. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's just like a given that they're going to have the you know, soda for din- with dinner. And yeah. I don't know, there's just something about the Sprite of it that I feel makes it feel so much more authentic than if it were Coke. It makes me feel so, I, I and when there's a, spe- so a specific brand and, you, you know, when you're talking about families that, you know, really ha- are, you know, have to live by a, a strict budget. I mean, I, most families <laughs> need to live by by a budget. Uh, but, you know, like when you're really just, when you're trying when you're struggling to make ends meet and you've got a lot of dependence because uh, no one else in in that household is earning mm. money like Olive is yeah. the next like contender. Yeah, then, uh, yeah, right. So it makes me think that, OK, Sprite is like, OK, they got the coupon for Sprite. Like, yeah, it's got it's got to be brand specific. It's not well, just like, oh, whatever soda we and have. And that's but. the thing is, like, there's never any discussion about it. It's just there. But because she calls it out by name, the audience associates things with it at that time. And, you know, there you know what it made me think of. And I I don't know if I've talked about this on this podcast before, but it's a, a an aspect of the movie Knives Out that I really love. Uh, which I think that you and I have talked a lot about the movie Knives Out just in general. It's so wonderful. Yeah. And I don't remember the name of her character, but Anna de Armas's character, she has this uh, condition where if she lies, she vomits. And she, at, towards the beginning, tells a lie and vomits. And it's kind of just like, <laughs> you know, the detectives are just like, huh, wow, that's true. That's so strange. And... Then she says she's kind of finding an excuse to go inside of the house, and she says that she's just going to go get some scope. She specifies that she's using a very specific brand of mouthwash, scope, which is a, I think it's like just a funnier one to mention than like Listerine. Uh, There's just something about the word scope and specifying name brand and i don't know i don't think it's the same that as something like uh you know the sprite in little miss sunshine but it always sticks out to me when there's such specificity and it's not the first thing that you would think of right yeah yeah uh but but yet it's like the standard because i mean like look scope has been around for as long as I can remember as kind of like as, as the, you know, I know there's lots of brands of mouthwash, but it's really it like, look, there's lots of fast food, but it's a McDonald's Burger King world. And there's lots of types of mouthwash, but like it's a Listerine and scope world. Yeah. And and, you know, but it's, it's almost like somebody saying like, Oh, can you hand me a puffs plus? Right. 
Well, yeah, right. Well, no, and it's it's interesting that's that yeah, you brought that up because I was thinking about like there are some of those things that are like regionalisms where you would say in some parts of the country if you want a tissue, you'd ask for a Kleenex even if the box is a, is Puffs Plus, you'd still if Kleenex like, is synonymous just for tissue. Absolutely, and I know that in some parts of the country people call all types of soda Coke. Coke. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And so uh it's it's interesting to me that um you know this I just loved the sprite thing. I thought that, that was such a really interesting touch. I appreciated that a lot. And um yeah, I don't know. And and I I also realized like this came out in 2006, I believe. Yeah. And this was right at that time where and I don't know if this was one that really kicked it off, but it was like the the era of like the quirky comedy and so like i have it's it is the fox searchlight mid-2000s boom and yeah it is so i mean and i i'm so i i have a list and actually i don't know if the last if the last one on my list was actually a fox search searchlight movie but Mm -hmm. uh i the good girl juno garden state napoleon dynamite yeah i mean so i know that napoleon dynamite came out in 2004 um, Garden State was also 2004. Uh, Juno was 2007. Seven. Yeah, 2007. And the The Good Girl, I think, was 2002. That was I don't Jennifer Aniston, John C. Riley. Oh, okay. See, but the thing about this one that sta- I mean, clearly, you have the yellow VW bus. You have Abigail Breslin wearing this, like, you know, workout sweatband. Like, her outfits are very uh, reminiscent of something in Juno or uh, uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Quirky. I'm pretty sure Polyphonic Spree is on the soundtrack. <laughs> oh, Little Miss Sunshine. You have Sufjan Stevens. And then oh, yeah. I think Devochka is the one who, like, did the, the rest of the music for it. But it's it's, like... The plucky do 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 yeah, and uh, it's a it's a wonderful score, and I th- I know that it's been used for other things after this too, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool, yeah. So I I don't know this movie has a lot of those elements, you know, like this whole thing where they you know after the grandfather passes away, spoiler, sorry. Uh, they do this thing where they steal his body because they don't want to waste the time or like spend the time filling out paperwork when they got to get to California and do all this stuff. So it's, uh, it's pretty wild. Oh, let me tell you about one other thing that I, one other moment that I loved, you know, the, and that's, this is in that same scene where Alan Arkin's character has passed away. Um, and you have the doctor coming out to tell the family that they've done everything they could do. And uh, he, he's like, I'm so sorry. And he, and he's just like, I'm going to get uh, the, like the grief counselor to walk you through the next steps. And he just goes, Linda. Yeah. <laughs> he just, like, shouts the name Linda, which is such a funny name to shout first of all. <laughs> but, uh, and then Linda, I mean, that character, was irritating. I mean, I totally understand her, but I feel like for somebody who deals with grief, very bad uh, demeanor. Yeah, it just, it really felt 
it it really felt like again this this family is not like you know they're not even going to the top shelf you know clinics uh and right. it felt felt very much just like like this grief counselor deals with this stuff so much that <laughs> This is she's like, okay, you could do this. You have this option. These these meetings happen here. This happens when. This is when you can do. And uh yeah, yeah. They're probably not not the pre preeminent uh the, the foremost uh, grief counselor in, in the country. No, Linda uh Linda's your last resort. Yeah, no, no, yeah. <laughs> Linda Linda does what she needs to do to keep her job and and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and uh Linda played by Paula Newsom. Uh huh. I don't. I don't know. So Just there were some other things. Oh, so actually, so speaking of some uh, like casting, uh, one thing that I thought was interesting. So first of all, so we've got uh, a, a a couple of I feel like references in this movie to other movies. Uh, Stan, the character of Stan Grossman, Stan Grossman, right? Who's going to uh, who who's going to get Richard? Who's trying to get R- Richard his book deal? Or try, is trying to sell this Nine Steps? And sure. Stan Grossman was a character in Fargo who mm-hmm. was kind of had a similar vibe where he was like, what, the financial advisor for uh, for William H. Macy's father-in-law in that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, like kind of advising them on deals. And it was a similar, it was a, I didn't think it was like supposed to be the same character. No, played by Brian Cranston. Yeah. In this movie. Yeah. yeah. And I also thought it was interesting that when you get you get to the pageant, the very uptight, very much like by the by the book, by the rules, pageant master is played Beth by Grant. Beth Grant, who you may who who fans of Donnie Darko would remember. Sure, played a very similar character back in two thousand one, two thousand two. I'm starting yeah. to question your commitment to Sparkle Motion. Exactly. And also, <laughs> we've talked about Beth Grant a lot because she's one of the Joel Schumacher players. Yeah. 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 That's right. <laughs> yes. Love to see Beth Beth Grant. Um, and, you know, while we're talking about casting and at the time that this movie came out, I mean, people wouldn't have known that he was going to be as big as he became in Breaking Bad. Uh, alongside Stan Grossman himself, Brian Cranston, but Dean Norris plays uh, the like motorcycle cop who pulls them over when the uh, their horn starts to go on the fritz and everything. And so, what's funny to me about Dean Norris playing this cop, which this scene is a little bizarre. You know, there's a corpse covered in just like a very thin sheet uh, in the trunk. And uh, Greg Kinnear's character raises some suspicion that there's something that shouldn't be seen in the trunk. And it turns out that Dean Norris's character thinks that he's referring to the stack of porn that uh, belonged, that the uh, the grandfather uh, had asked Uncle Frank to go purchase at the gas station, which is when we have Uncle Frank also buying a uh, buns and ammo um <laughs> male magazine and uh so then we just see this like horny cop like smiling and chuckling at these magazines and it made me think of not to uh not i don't want to sound like i'm not like a sex positive person here 
But Dean Norris, I think, uh, mistook uh, Twitter for Google one time and tweeted two words that will forever change the way I think about Dean Norris. Sex gifts. And so... uh, Dean Norris to me will always and forever be the sex gifts guy. And uh, it really tracks with his character in Little Miss Sunshine. Sure does. The horny cop. Uh, but hey, Dean Norris always playing a good cop. Yeah. Not, not like a not like good cop, but like he's good at playing he's, a cop. He's good at playing, yeah, no. He's An authority good. figure, a yeah. you know, a law enforcement agent. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Would would e- happily cast Dean Norris as any <laughs> law enforcement officer, not just police. No, I, you know, FBI. hey, if I was casting people in things, Dean Norris wouldn't be at the ATF? bottom of my list. ATF, totally. DEA, yeah. add an N, Dean Norris. There you go. There you go. So, well, DEA is his uh, is his job in Breaking oh. Bad. Yeah, that's there so we there go. go. We brought it back around. So yes, uh, so so Beth Grant is is in there. Uh, should we make should we make uh, t shirts that have the DEA emblem and then it says like DEA and then below it it says N Norris. Yeah, or like yeah, big the big DEA <laughs> and just a little like handwritten N, and then, and then yeah Norris. <laughs> it wouldn't have his face. That's all it would just. No, just, no, 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 no. Just the just the little Dean, emblem. It Dean just Norris. says Dean Norris. D-E-A Norris. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh. <laughs> so. Yeah. It, it, it's a fun. It's it's a really fun movie. Uh. And really well written script. It sets up. Like like I was saying before, with actually with this scene with the with the porn, um, it the script does a really nice job of setting things up in a way that's not too obvious. It's not like when he brings out the porn mags, you're you're thinking like, oh, that something's gonna happen with that. Well, or also, maybe you are. I don't know. I yeah, wasn't. Well, also when they're in the hospital waiting to find out about the grandfather. There's like a what seems just like a whatever throwaway line where Olive grabs some like pamphlets and she's just like, anyone want to do a colorblind test? And then when they're in the bus together and they're they bust it out and they discover that Dwayne is colorblind and Frank tells him that if he's colorblind, he can't be in the Air Force. Oh, that is a that is an intense scene that is so heartbreaking and paul dano is amazing at Mm. you know showing that raw emotion and having such like a big outburst and the way that he kind of comes back and the family just forgives him for what he said is really amazing yeah no he he blows he blows up he comes he yeah i mean he and and totally it's it's so understanding. You set it up so well with that commitment, that nine month vow of silence that when he mm-hmm. when he's like when it all comes crashing down and he's in the back of the car and he's just going to burst. Um, yeah. And this movie, this movie, like Parenthood, deftly blends the comedy and the drama. And that's what makes it, again, like Parenthood. It does a really great job of presenting 
life in, in the roller coaster, if you will, yeah. to paraphrase Grandma Buckman, uh, the roller coaster of yeah, there there's going to be like you're going to be at each other's throats, and then five minutes later, you're all going to be working together again, and that that's family. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think that what's so cool is like Dwayne, who has gone on record <laughs> saying that he hates his family, you know, clearly cares a lot about Olive and wants her wants to protect her from embarrassment and uh, people being mean, mm-hmm. and the way that he pleads to Cheryl to not send Olive out in the pageant after he and Frank see what it is actually like is, you know, there's true love for his family in that scene. And uh, just big credit to the to this movie for for demonstrating that and in the way that it did. Yeah. And and also, I have to say something I I mean, I don't know, maybe this is something that people notice about this movie the first time they see it. I don't think I caught it the first time I saw it, but the commentary of the whole pageant sequence where you have these kids, these children mm-hmm. who all except for Olive, Olive looks very much like like you said, like, like an eight or nine year old kid putting on her little workout outfit and mm-hmm. yeah, she looks very much like a kid. She acts very much like a kid. And then you have these children who are with spray tans and yeah. makeup and they're wearing these like a very adult look. Like I find the whole thing about child pageants like, oh, disturbing. But and everybody is all into that. But then I guess another spoiler alert when Olive gets up and does her dance to Super Freak. Yeah. Basically a toned down like strip club yeah. routine, but she does it without any like it's very naive and very much just like this is what my grandpa told me people like is good dancing. Yeah. And and how everyone is just so appalled by it. Um and I love how this this family that's that's been through hell uh, finally just comes to this moment. It's such catharsis when she's she's up there dancing and she's just doing her. She's not really she's 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 doing her thing, and people are being they're getting up and they're walking out. And yeah, like Beth Grant's flipping out. Um, and when they just start to get up and go up and dance. It, you feel it. You feel so happy for them. You're like, yes, yeah. I'm so happy for you that you have this. Mo- you need this. Your family needs this. Well, you know, this is a movie that's about winners and losers and success and failure. And we know that, you know, the one of the very first moments of the movie is Greg Kinnear's character giving his lecture about the nine steps to success. And, He's the one that says, like, if you don't think you're going to win, don't bother doing it. Whereas, uh, and I want to say it's the grandfather says, like, the real failure is would be not trying. And yeah. the, 
I, you know, the, the change that happens with Richard, Greg Kinnear's character, is, I mean, we see him completely lose his mind when his whole pitch to six, like for his success book fails, you know, he completely unravels. And for him now, the only failure would be for them to not get to this pageant. And he right. does everything he can to not fail at that. And if that means transporting a dead body over state lines illegally and driving on the boardwalk and, you know, doing all these things that he's not breaking all the rules in order to succeed, he's going to do it. And when he sees that his daughter is clearly not going to win this pageant, he makes this a moment and he works to make this a moment of success for their family and bringing the family together because they have kind of all unraveled in their own ways. You know, Cheryl and Richard have been having their own arguments about the things that make it seem like their marriage is in, in danger. You know, we have Dwayne who's completely losing it over the fact that he will not be in the air force. You know, uh, the grandpa's dead. Uh, and then we have Frank who, you know, started off in this bad place and, you know, kind of got to a point where he was lifted up by the family. And then when he sees Larry Sugarman <laughs> and that student, he, then unravels again and then this moment where they are coming together and everybody has kind of come together in support of olive except fully richard and then at that moment when he's supposed to go up there and take her off the stage but instead decides to dance with her with her dance moves that is the real victory of the family, and that is what gets the rest of the family doing the same thing and all together at once. And you know what? And it really would have made the grandfather proud. He would have yeah. loved yes. it. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? Uh, before I, this is really, I think my my kind of closing thought before we move on to uh, oh, yeah. to uh, you know what what we're gonna do here, but. I, I don't think we, at least I didn't consciously, I mean, you know, you, you this was, it was your suggestion to cover this movie and I don't mm, think yeah. you intended to cover it as something connected to parenthood. I think just something that no. loosely thematically, but man, when you look at some of this, when you look at like, we were talking with parenthood about Gil, uh, Steve Martin, his best decisions as a parent are the ones that are made in the moment. Right. When, we were talking about that last time. Yeah. Cowboy, cowboy, cowboy Dan will be here. Cowboy yeah. Dan will be here. Um, Richard is the same way. The, we're going to, all right, we're going to get dad. We're going to take his body out through the window. We yeah. need, like, we need to go. We can't leave the body. They won't let us take the body. We need to take the body. Um, getting up and dancing. They're not these planned out, the nine steps. He's spent hours planning and and all that. And, yeah. and that hasn't worked out so well. But when he makes these decisions in the moment to... Uh, to 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 give his not just his in the interest of his own success, but his family's success, like you're saying, yes. that's he's at his best. He's happy. He's ha he's at his happiest there. And 
I find that, you know, in the ending that that the beauty pageant scene reminded me so much of the play at the end of, of Parenthood, the Snow White play when. Right. It, yeah, because no, when, that's true. When I didn't Justin think about, I really goes about up that at all. and Evers, he's ruining the play. Uh, yeah. And, and they're like, I hadn't even thought about that. And every and but then every you know they're then they're just they're laughing and they're enjoying it and you know t- all the kids are on stage playing with Justin and Taylor's putting her costume on it yeah. and it's so similar and I I mean I don't think I'm I'm not like oh Michael Art clearly watched Parenthood while he was writing this no but it, it it's just a great example and it and it shows kind of how uh it it tells the story about how like yeah like. Th- it's a roller coaster and like there's going to be there's going to be those dips and then there's going to be those really exhilarating moments and you sometimes you don't know which one is coming and when right you know i think that another thing uh you know you're you're saying that you don't think that michael arndt was like you know watching parenthood and you know writing the script at the same time or anything but you know, Lowell Gans and Bablu Mandel, the, you know, the, their, the way that they write and, you know, a lot of the themes that come into a lot of their writing, you know, they're some of the biggest names in, you know, comedic, but with heart films of, you know, the, the eighties and, and into the nineties. And when somebody is just kind of getting their start in the early to mid aughts, you know, those are the movies that they grew up with. Those are the things that they, you know, came up watching and certainly would have left an impression. And also it's like, if you're trying to be a screenwriter, especially at that time, like though that writing team is one to look up to. So yeah. yeah. Oh, it wouldn't be surprising if there actually was a, you know, some sort of influencer parallel. I I mean yeah that would be really interesting uh, I'd be interested to to know more about that it was never anything that I really thought about before I never yeah. really made uh, a connection between between the two I I mean even having you know the the cantankerous uh, the Grand Alan Arkin's character isn't really cantankerous in this the way that no. Jason Robards is in in Parenthood uh, yeah um. But like Rich Richard kind of reminded me of a Nathan. Yeah, yeah, very type A. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, this is the plan. We are not deviating from the plan. Right. Kind of a person. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. So Little Miss Sunshine. Great movie. Great movie. Great movie. Uh there's more that we could certainly keep talking about, but I would love to know. Well, before Dan, I ask you while you do this, I do want to note that there was a musical based on the film, uh, music and lyrics by William Finn. Um, and that was workshopped at the Sundance Institute theater lab at white Oak and premiered in La Jolla play at the La Jolla playhouse. And this was in 2011 and uh, I'd read a little bit more about it, what's on the Wikipedia, but it's a lot of theater names that I wouldn't know if they're important people or not. And I'm sure that they're wonderful actors. Here, here we go. Hunter Foster, Malcolm Getz, Georgie James. Do you know any of these people, Dan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hunter Foster. Um, uh, he played Seymour in an off, I want to say, 
favorite was the Off Broadway or the Broadway revival of Little Shop of Horrors. Okay, last and uh, who who is the second name that you said? The second name that I said was Malcolm Getz. So Hunter uh, Foster was also in the producers. I'm trying to see. Um, okay, so he did uh, on Broadway, Bridges of Madison County, and on a Hard Body. Um, Million Dollar Quartet. The producers on Broadway was Leo Bloom, which is also interesting because uh, Matthew Broderick had an assistant named Michael Arndt, who who quit his job being who Matthew quit Broderick's his job assistant because, to write exactly. the screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, so so uh, uh, so Rory O'Malley who played uh Frank in the uh off-Broadway production of it. He was in the original uh, Broadway cast of Book of Mormon. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David Rash, or, or Rash, you'd know, he's like, you'd know his face. Uh, he okay. played Grandpa in the uh, off-Broadway. Like, gotcha. yeah, you would you would know his face if if you saw it. Like, he's, he's in a lot of things. Uh, cool. So, yeah, so Little Miss, Sun- yeah, Little Miss Sunshine has yeah. been a musical. There you go. So, Dan, what would you do given the opportunity? You know, I really was I was thinking about this one. I was trying to I was I was trying to think outside of the box. I always I appreciate, John, that you often have ideas that are out of the strictly like sequel, prequel, remake, reboot. Realm. Dan, you're going to be disappointed in what I'm going to say in a few minutes. Oh, well, uh, I don't know. You might be disappointed in, in what I'm going to say in, okay. in a few seconds. Uh I got nothing. Um, here's really? what I would do. Here's what I would do with this. No, because you know what? What would I say? A musical? Like, I, like, yeah, okay. Like, sure, whatever. We could have a a prequel that that has like you know life in the Hoover household. Uh, you know, uh, growing up. I don't know. You could have a a sequel. You could do all that, and I'm sure it would be fine. But what? Like, I feel like this movie was just like lightning in a bottle, and it was very. It was also like perfect for that moment in time. Uh, you know, for the the Fox Searchlight uh boom of the odds, mm-hmm. but I I think the screenplay should be like should be used. I think to to teach. I think there's a lot of hmm. good uh screenwriting. I think it provides a lot of good examples. The Academy agrees. Yeah, the the <laughs> of course. Um, uh, yeah, but I think like this one more so than like a Pulp Fiction. Uh. You know, which also won best original screenplay. I would say this is a like would be a, a great screenplay if you're trying to teach screenwriting and maybe more in the commercial vein. You know, you're you know you're going you're you went to the Lowell Gans Babalu Mandel School of Screenwriting, not the uh, John Waters School of Screenwriting, right? Um, like this would be a great way. It would be great to like, you know, use this to look at and study, um, you know, how, how is it kind of like how we, how it, you have what parenthood is doing for the eighties, you know, how is this of its, of its time? What Mm -hmm. are the devices used? The characters, uh, the creation of the characters, how much is spelled out, how much is left to, uh, to wonder about, 
But I, I think the script should be studied. I think I think if there's ever a Parenthood sequel, uh, M- Michael Arndt would be a, a choice of of screenwriter for it. Um, yeah. And and I and and it'd like, be a Pixar presentation of Parenthood. Okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> That's fine. Um, a lot of big big butted Buckmans. Yeah. Yeah. And I John Ratzenberger would be the Clint Howard character. Yes, <laughs> yes, you would. He, he just shows no up just a little bit. Out there. Yeah, he had no yeah. business. Uh, but yeah, that and I think Little Miss Sunshine should absolutely be included in, um, you know, uh, cinema retrospectives of like, I, you know, buy your tickets now. You know, it's the, the, the it's it's the Fox Searchlight 2000s uh, retrospective yeah. at the like Angelica or whatever. And uh I would include I, I would include it in there. It's to me, it's one of the stronger ones. Uh, in that, at least in the group that 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 I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm definitely not a fan of Napoleon Dynamite, and uh, right, I'm not uh, like I liked Garden State. I don't know how well that movie has aged. Uh, Juno, I was not too pro lifey. Yeah, that that wasn't even what bothered me about it. it. Yeah, but anyway, we're not talking about Juno. We're talking about Little Miss Sunshine. John, what would you do? So, thanks for asking, Dan. Uh, what I would do, and I don't know if I would necessarily call this a sequel, uh, because I feel like having a Little Miss Sunshine 2 wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't, there's nowhere to go back with the actual pageant or anything, but some sort of spin-off movie or series focusing on Dwayne and Uncle Frank. And I felt like they had a really fascinating dynamic between the two of them. And those are two characters that I wouldn't mind catching up with all this time later. Uh, I don't really need to see Greg Kinnear's character. Um, I mean, certainly an appearance from Cheryl is, would be appreciated. Perhaps uh, she's spent the past uh, however many years living in Australia and has developed an accent. That'd be something. And um, yeah, you know, I would definitely love to see what has come of Frank if he has... Uh, because you also know at the beginning that uh, Dwayne, he has taken this vow of silence as a response to Nietzsche and he acknowledges that to, to Frank who, you know, is also a scholar. So you have to wonder, like they are both into philosophy and they do have this connection that was not that we know of, like connected to one another, but we see the two of them really, uh, forming a bond on this trip and there's a respect between the two of them uh from when they f- when you first see them together. So I wouldn't mind seeing kind of what happened with each one of those characters and kind of how they could you know how their lives could overlap again all these years later. You know it's it's interesting. I'm glad you brought I'm glad you brought that relationship up because another one of my kind of new as I'm my new noticings as I'm watching this movie and thinking about it because the family relations in it are uh, are kind of all over because because well not all over all over because Richard is Cheryl's second second husband I right assume um 
and you know Dwayne's father lives I forget where he lives that like Dwayne was visiting yeah, I think him they mentioned it in a throwaway line yeah. yeah like towards the beginning it's when they talk about how Olive ended up getting into the Little Miss Sunshine con- competition right. because she went to go stay with uh was it like uh Cheryl's sister okay I in don't Redondo really Beach and then Dwayne went to his father and so I thought about it and I'm like okay so some of these characters don't know each other well like grandpa and Dwayne don't haven't been in each other's lives for ver- for for that long for as long yeah I guess we can assume maybe 10 10 years I guess with well because if uh, Olive is almost you know, eight yeah anyway about that but so I'm thinking about I'm like well Dwayne and Frank their relationship theoretically goes back much further because mm-hmm. Frank's Cheryl's sister, Frank would have been his uncle from 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 birth and from birth. Yeah. Uh, so I I there were they had those moments where they they were really bonding and going like when they're off like standing by the beach talking before they go back yeah. into the pageant, and I'm like I'm like that's it's an it's a really cool relationship. It's a really interesting relationship, and. And in those circumstances, I would feel like, especially for Dwayne's character, having someone who's been like consistent in his life besides his mother for all those years and and like that being Frank, it's like there's a lot of that's why I really like the screenplay, because I think it it doesn't tell you everything. No, and it doesn't. And it, it gives you hints. And it's also why the acting is so wonderful in this, because you get that sense. You get that that right. sense of real family between them. Whereas like with Richard and Frank, it's not there. With Dwayne and Frank barely have a relation. Or yeah. Dwayne and Rich sorry. Dwayne and Richard barely have a, a relationship. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and also Paul Dano and Steve Carell. Oh, well so yeah. hot. <laughs> You know, so hot right now. So hot right now. Uh, no, they're they're. I I don't know. Every time you say that they're at the peak of their career, they just you know ascend further. And <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, yeah, because I mean, for, so Steve Carell when he did this would have been coming off of Forty uh, Year Old Virgin. And I want to say that he that. even shot this before Forty Year Old Virgin. He might have shot it before Forty Year Old yeah. Virgin because you know. Either that or 40-Year-Old Virgin hadn't come out yet because from what I remembered reading probably on like IMDb trivia is that uh, they the studio, they had to really convince the studio that Steve Carell was worth casting in this role because I think that at this point he was really just like a Daily Show correspondent. Like he hadn't really done any acting before. So... I mean, so they, they might have filmed it even before Anchor. Who knows? Like maybe even before Anchorman, right? Which is 04. Yeah, I don't know when they actually shot this movie, but like even in Anchorman, I mean, look at his character. It's you know, it's funny moments, but it's not a lot of acting. Right, right, right. No, yeah. I remember this was like his first, the the first like serious serious role uh, yeah. that he was really just known as as you know for comedy. Up until uh, up until that point, but yeah, and Paul Dano, Paul Dano, Paul Dano, Paul. Uh, um, you know, I remember after this, it was there will be blood, and it was like, yeah. wow, that's huge. 
Um, I, I don't know. I respect the arc his career has taken because I know, and you and I have talked about Love and Mercy. Uh, For yeah. him, him in his career taking detours like that and doing smaller, smaller films, and now you you look at him and he's he's in the Batman, and it, it looks like uh, I I don't know if if he's done in that franchise, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed his performance very much. Right. So I I think that's something that we should also mention is that he worked with these directors again on Ruby Sparks um, several years later. So uh, that was 2012. um, That was directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Farris. And I, I don't know. I, I always liked seeing that actors and directors work together multiple times because it shows that they trust each other and that they have a good working relationship and they elevate each other. I, I, would also I would also add and Usually. yeah you know right after uh little miss sunshine right we do have there'll be blood um just looking at some of the other bigger ones that we have uh you know a couple of adventure action adventures like night and day and cowboys and aliens and then we have ruby sparks but that same year as ruby sparks we've also got looper which he is uh, oh, right. really intense in. And that's another one of those like, you know, indie movies that is really doing something fascinating. You know, we were just talking about Ryan Johnson earlier. Um, then he's in 12 Years a Slave and Prisoners. Have you seen him in Prisoners? Oh, the Denny Villeneuve. Yeah. He's bananas in that. And then the next year we have Love and Mercy. <laughs> so, and then Swiss Army Man, Okja. And then, of course, now we have the Batman, but it's just like th- his career is so fascinating. And I really appreciate um, the the choices that he makes and the chances that he takes. And he also um, wrote the movie Wildlife that was and directed the movie Wildlife. Sorry. Uh, he wrote Wildlife with Zoe Kazan, uh, his partner, and, um, and directed that movie that was with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Carrie Mulligan. And um, I've only heard great things about it. I haven't seen it yet. No, me neither. But yeah, no, I mean, incredible talent. I also want to shout out, and this wouldn't have been in his filmography, but I've talked about this show before on this podcast, but he's great in Escape at Dannemora, the the prison break uh, thing that he did with Benicio Del Toro and Patricia Arquette um, that was, you know... Directed by Ben Stiller, Ben Stiller, mostly. Yeah. It's on Showtime. It was great. Yeah. He was I, so good in it. My he list. plays a very different kind of character. Awesome. 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 Well, we love him. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's time to reveal what we're, uh, we're going to be talking about on the next episode. And this is a reveal not just to our audience, but also to me. Dan, for the first time, is going to surprise me with it. <laughs> yeah, so we're continuing our, you know, talking about movies about families and the complications of family and, um, uh, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of, of family life and family dynamics. So uh, what better movie to talk about than a movie about someone who saves his family? 
That's someone <gasps> being Stuart. We are oh. going to be talking about 1995's Stuart Saves His Family, directed by Harold Ramis, starring uh, Al Franken, uh, taking his uh, Saturday Night Live character, Stuart Smalley, to the big screen, uh, Vincent, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, uh, Laura Sangiacomo, Harris Yulin are all Yulin. Yeah. all along, all along for the ride. So, um, Dan, good call. Was that good a good call. call, John? Oh, I'm happy. Stuart saves his family. Fantastic. I love it. I thought, you know, I was like, I was really, I was brainstorming about this because I usually, uh, truth be told, like forget to think about what what we should do next um until we sit down to record and then so i was really thinking about it today and like really like i even like asked my wife this is what we're doing and what what should we do uh and then it hit me like in the middle of dinner and we kind of try to keep like a no phones out policy during dinner (laughs) but i was like i need to jot this down now (laughs) i need to break the rule Uh, Stuart saves his family yeah, well, Dan, as you are uh, pushing a, a Volkswagen bus down a hill <laughs> to get it to start, <laughs> I wish you <laughs> a good journey. Good journey. Song. Yeah. 